This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, we do thank You tonight. Lord, uh, as always, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this fellowship. Thank You for every person here tonight. Lord, we pray, use Your truth to increase our understanding of You and of things concerning this great salvation that You've wrought in us, for us, through Jesus Christ. Lord, open our understanding, we pray. Bless this time together, we pray, and we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. First Timothy. First Timothy chapter one. Amen. All right, I'm going to start reading. Mm, Let's see, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. However, we've we've covered many of these verses, um, uh, but I want to get the complete thought here. Um, So I want to read verses 5 through 17. And then we'll focus uh, mainly in on verse 11, if you follow in there. First Timothy 1, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent, insolent man, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I hope uh, that looking at these verses uh, have the same effect on us that uh, it has on Paul here in verse 17 when he, when he contemplates this glorious gospel uh, he breaks into praise, which Paul often does. He gets to thinking about his uh, uh, about salvation in Christ and and uh, the glorious uh, salvation that God has provided for us, and his uh, his his having lavished his love upon us, or or as he says here, overflowing grace. And and uh, it, it several times you'll be reading Paul's epistles when he's going into these things and, and what same thing will happen that happens here in verse 17. He just begins to, to, uh, to praise God. To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's giving us a contrast here because of the false teachers that we've, uh, uh, we've already talked a good bit about. Uh, contrast between uh, the unsound or the unhealthy doctrine um, and, and really, he's as I said last week, he, he's, he focuses more on the the effect of it. He, he doesn't tell us exactly what their doctrine is. Um, we get hints as we go through the uh, the epistle because he he brings out different things like like he does here um, in verses eight through ten, for example. Uh, he. He, he, he gives us a, a little bit of insight here that we understand that part of it at least has to do with a misunderstanding of the role of the law. And so Paul says, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Kind of a play on uh, words there. Uh, the law has to be used lawfully. And if it is, then it's useful. So, again, he doesn't give us uh, specifics on how the false teachers were using it. Uh, my guess would be, from other uh, uh, evidence we have in the New Testament, um, it, it probably an, probably another effort to bring um, Christians under the law, to require them to keep the Mosaic law, uh, similar to what you have in the book of Galatians, for example. Um, and so, so Paul, uh, again, just, just says here, again, he just focuses on the effect and then moves on to the gospel. But he, he says, what all this does is lead to um, disputes and idle talk. It's not profitable. It doesn't, it doesn't have the effect of edification like sound doctrine does. So, the law, he says, uh, is good if it's used properly. But, verse 9, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless. Uh, and, and again, this gives me the impression that he's saying that what he says in other places, we, we are not under law, but under grace. It seems to me that he's implying that there, these false teachers are trying to bring you back under the law. 
And he's, he's saying, well, the law is made for the lawless. And then he gives a list here similar to a list he gives in other places, such as Galatians 5. Uh, who is the law intended for? The lawless, the insubordinate, the ungodly for sinners, the, un, the, the unholy and profane, murders of fathers, murders of mothers. And, and if you notice, as he goes through these, um, these correlate with the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not uh, steal, you shall not commit adultery. And here he lists fornicators, sodomites, uh, kidnappers, you shall not steal, liars, shall not lie, perjurers. All these things correlate with, with uh, the Old Testament law. So in other words, he's saying these things are contrary to sound doctrine, which is found in the law and in the gospel. The law is sound doctrine. The gospel of Jesus Christ that he's about to uh, focus attention on is sound doctrine. And we talked uh, before about that word sound. Uh, it's the idea of, of healthy. Verse 10, um, after giving this list, uh, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's, that's what the law is for. Anything contrary to sound doctrine is for for, for people living out these things, living this kind of lifestyle, which is contrary to healthy doctrine. The word there is where we get our word hygiene. It's the idea of uh, uh, healthy. All right, now, I want to focus primarily on two adjectives that uh, he uses here <laughs> because, uh, well... Uh, great blessing, I think, um, and it and it just kind of has again the, the effect uh, that it has on Paul, just bringing about praise. Listen to how he describes the gospel here. <clears throat> After giving this list of things that are contrary to sound doctrine, he, he then gives a description: sound doctrine um, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed. Our blessed God. All of those things are the opposite of godliness. Lawless, insubordinate, ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, murderers, kidnappers, fornicators. All of those things, that, that kind of, of, uh, of conduct, that kind of life is the opposite of godliness, which is the effect that sound doctrine has, that the gospel has. So he, he gives us this contrast. Those things as opposed to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And here's the two adjectives. This how... Paul describes his message that he says was committed to him in verse 11. The glorious gospel of the blessed God. The glorious gospel. Well, this, and this is the way that a believer ought to uh, understand the gospel. It is glorious. For the world, it's foolishness. And once it was foolishness for us. In fact, Paul says of himself, 
I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man or a violent man, but I obtained mercy. There was a time when, when he opposed the gospel message. It was foolishness to him. But, after having encountered the living Christ and his eyes being opened, uh, after uh, the Holy Spirit uh, doing his regenerating work, after Paul is saved, now this gospel message is glorious to him. It's the glorious good news. Or, the gospel, and this is a more literal way of, of saying it, um, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. That's, that's the way it, it, it reads in, in the Greek. The, the, uh, the term glory here is in the, in the genitive case. It's, it's, it's the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which is also genitive. The gospel of the glory. In other words, the glory of God is revealed in the gospel. God makes His glory known in the good news of Jesus Christ. He uh, puts it on display. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the gospel of the glory of God. And this this is the this is the actual fullness. This is the you know we've been talking in Hebrews about types and shadows and then substance. That's that's what you have here. You you could you could think for example for example of the uh, the manifestation of the Shekinah glory in the in the temple in the Old Testament. Well, there is a foreshadowing. But here is, is, a, is a greater revelation, the fullness of the glory of God. It's the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. God's glory is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the good news of Jesus Christ, in the good news that God saves sinners, Paul says in verse 15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, that's foolishness to the world. You talk about a, a God, the God, who becomes man. And he doesn't, he doesn't come and manifest Himself as a great king, as a great conqueror. He comes as a, as a man and dies on a cross. But, for us... It's the power of God unto salvation. For us, the glory of God is, is revealed. For us, it is seen. It's, it's revealed, period. But for us, it is seen. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is, it is the gospel of the glory of God. And it is glorious. Let me read you a quote here from John Gill. John Gill was a 17th century British uh, pastor. Um, Good stuff. You ever get to read any of his, uh, get the opportunity to read any of his stuff. Prolific writer. On the glorious gospel, he writes, its doctrines, referring to the gospel, its doctrines of peace and pardon, righteousness and salvation by Jesus Christ are glorious ones. 
And so are its promises, being great and precious. All yea and amen in Christ. Absolute, unconditional, unchangeable, and irreversible. Its ordinances also are glorious ones, being amiable and pleasant and not grievous and burdensome to believers. And it is glorious in its effects, being the power of God unto salvation, the means of enlightening the blind, of quickening the dead, of delivering men from bondage and servitude, of turning men from sin and Satan to God, and of refreshing and comforting distressed minds, and of reviving the spirits of drooping saints. I like the way he says that. Reviving the spirits of drooping saints, of establishing and strengthening them and nourishing them up to eternal life. That's, that's the edifying effect of sound, healthy doctrine. It's glorious. It's, it's, it's glorious in its promises. It's glorious in its peace and pardon and righteousness. It's glorious in its effects. And it is the gospel of the glory of God. It, it reveals, it manifests the glory of God. Because it manifests Him. He, he, he reveals Himself in the gospel. The other um, adjective here is the word blessed. Blessed. Paul speaks of sound doctrine, healthy, healthy teaching, again is all that means, healthy teaching according to the gospel of the glory of God. But he doesn't just say according to the gospel of the glory of God. He says according to the gospel of of the glory of the blessed God. This word always kind of fascinates me in the ways that it's used. It's used frequently uh, in the New Testament. It's the word makarios, and again, usually translated blessed, uh, it just means happy. Happy. <laughs> and it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to me that Paul, and, and, and there's only two places, uh, I believe, there's only two, that, that it is used in reference to God. Now, it's used many times uh, in reference to, uh, to believers or, or to men. Only two um, in reference to God um, here and then in chapter 6, verse 15. So it's fascinating to me, and, and, and I'm just read it a little bit more literal here. According to the gospel of the glory of the happy God. Paul speaks of sound doctrine according, that is healthy teaching, healthy teaching according to the gospel of the glory of the happy God. Now, that... <clears throat> may sound a little strange, huh? It's a shame that that sounds a little strange. 
But but I confess it sounds a little little strange to me. It's a shame that it does sound strange to us. And let me and let me give some more explanation. But before I do that, let me let me give you a couple of cross uh, references here. And and uh, well, one of them we'll come back to in a moment uh, is the one I already mentioned, chapter six, verse fifteen. Uh, let me give you another one. It's the same word, okay? In fact, I, yeah, I may give you a couple more here. Um, in Acts twenty six. Paul is told that he may testify before King Agrippa. This is after he's been arrested and they're in the process of getting him to Rome and he's appealed to Caesar. And here he gets to make his case before King Agrippa. And he's pleased with that. Paul is pleased with that. He's going to get to speak for himself. And, and you know, I'm sure part of that is just fact that he's getting the opportunity. He's, he's, he's been arrested on bogus charges. So part of that is he's just being given the opportunity to give his side of the story. But even better than that, of course, for the Apostle Paul, is he's going to use it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Um, so so he's, he's pleased with the fact that he's going to get to testify before Agrippa. And he says in Acts 26.2, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. And by the way, that's not a, a statement... Um, Concerning positive mental attitude, you know, I think myself happy. He's not. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> he, he's just he's just stating that he's pleased with the fact that he's going to get to speak. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews. Well, the word happy there is the same word here translated blessed. In 1 Timothy 1.11, Makarios. I think myself, Makarios, King Agrippa. Psalm 127.5, in the Greek, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the the Old Testament, uses the same word, happy. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. It's talking about children. (laughs) Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them, full of children. Happy. Makarios means happy. It's the glorious gospel, or rather, more literally, the gospel of the glory of the happy God. Now, why is that important? Why is that even Worth mentioning. Let me read you a couple more quotes here. Uh, well, some of these are good, but I'll try not to give too much here and, and uh, try to pick and choose here. Um, a couple quotes from John Piper here, his book, <clears throat> Desiring God. And uh, if you haven't read Desiring God, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Desiring God by John Piper. Um, I was telling somebody just today, and I said this many, many times, and I was I had an opportunity <laughs> to say it again today to someone um, to recommend two books um, that, in my view, every Christian ought to get their hands on and, and read. One is Knowing God by J.I. Packer, and the other is Desiring God by John Piper. And preferably, if you read them, read them in that order. Excellent, excellent books. All right, back to the quote. 
the ultimate ground of Christian hedonism, and let me say real quick, hedonism is just the idea of living for pleasure. Usually when you hear that word, there is, there is nothing good about it. You know, we, we talk about America being a hedonistic society. As people live for pleasure, live for the moment, go for the gusto, that kind of thing. But here he's using it in a, in a, a with a, uh, uh, in a Christian context. Meaning that we should live for pleasure, but our pleasure should be Christ. Alright. The ultimate ground of Christian hedonism is the fact that God is uppermost in His own affections. God is uppermost in His own affections. God has the right and power and wisdom to do whatever makes Him happy. None of His purposes can be frustrated. Therefore, He is never deficient or needy. He is never gloomy or discouraged. He is always full and overflowingly energetic for the sake of His people who seek their happiness in Him. Now, let me give you a couple verses here. And keep this in mind. God is uppermost in His own affections. His happiness is, is grounded in His own sovereignty. His happiness is grounded in His own sovereignty. Psalm 115.3 But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. By the way, I believe that means exactly what it says. <laughs> I don't think it needs a lot of explanation. But sometimes we try to, you know, people take a, a passage like that. Well, uh, of course, God is all-powerful. He, he could do anything He wanted to do. But no, it says He does. He does whatever He pleases. And that's why I say I believe it means just what it says. Not that He could, but that He does. Psalm 135.6 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. Interesting, isn't it? I even had a guy having this discussion one time, and I had a guy, uh, he was, uh, he was um, not, not reacting well. He was not, he was not receiving, I guess you might say, well. Um, and, and he came back with this response. Sure, God does, does whatever He wants to do in heaven, but not here on earth. Well, Psalm 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas. That's interesting, especially in light of all this that's going on down south of us, isn't it? In the seas and in all deep places. And then, of course, you know, everybody's familiar with Ephesians 1.11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, this may sound like a strange thing to say, and I don't have a lot of time to... to uh, well, I'm not going to go into it here, but um, 
you, you might just watch for this in your own reading. That little word, all, A-L-L, doesn't always mean all. But here, I, I think it means all. Absolutely all. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. You know, and just real quick, like I say, I won't take a lot of time going this, but some of you are probably already wondering, give me one place where all doesn't mean all. Well, it says that all Judea, for example, came out to be baptized by John the Baptist. And uh, not every single person was baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, scripture clearly tells us that. Um, so, so it's just a it's just a, a manner of speech, you know. All just kind of like we say, the whole city came out to see, uh, you know, such and such. So, all doesn't always mean all, but here it means all. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. All right. He his pleasure, God's happiness, is rooted in his own sovereignty. Piper says it this way, the foundation, but the foundation of the happiness of God is the sovereignty of God. The foundation of the happiness of God is the sovereignty of God. Just as our joy is based on the promise that God is strong enough and wise enough to make all things work together for our good, so God's joy is based on the same sovereign control. He makes all things work together for His glory. <laughs> Let's just think about that from a human perspective for a moment. Uh, wow. Um, when we feel like we're in control... You know, when 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 we're when things are going our way and we kind of feel like we got it handled, we're pretty happy, right? I mean, I'm just being honest here. I'm not, <laughs> not I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just I'm just saying that's the way it is. But when things don't go our way, when we when we don't have the power to make it happen, or when you know. The uh, the spouse or the the pet or whatever won't cooperate, um, then we get pretty frustrated. And I, I I came home again yesterday, I think it was, and and my dog comes crawling out from under the house that she knows she's not supposed to go under the house, and uh, it's very frustrating because <laughs> everything I have tried and I've tried uh, everything from lattice to electric wire. Um, and I don't have the power to stop the dog from going under the house. And so I find that very frustrating. Now, but here's the thing. Sometimes what I want is not right anyway because I'm a sinful human being. So that, that's where we gotta make a difference between us and God. But, but let's take that analogy over to the Lord. He does whatever He pleases in heaven and in earth. In other words, what I'm saying is He is never frustrated. He is a happy God because He is sovereign. And His will is always accomplished. He is never, ever, ever frustrated. Now, 
Again, like I say, we have to be a little careful with that analogy because, again, with us, we, we are motivated by selfishness often. Um, but God uh, always does what is right. He always wills what is right. And what He wills comes to pass. He does what He pleases in heaven and in the earth. Real quick, I know we're running out of time fast here. Um, I wanted to read one more, one more thought here. God loves to behold His glory. Again, this is Piper, John Piper. God loves to behold His glory reflected in His works. Now, keep in mind, he's talking about what makes God happy. God loves to behold His glory reflected in His works. So the eternal happiness of the triune God spilled over in the work of creation and redemption. And since this original happiness was God's delight in His own glory, therefore the happiness that He has in all His works of creation and redemption is nothing other than a delight in His own glory. In other words, He he delights in all of creation. He delights in all of His works because He sees in them a reflection of His own glory. And God is uppermost in His own affections. Okay, this is why God has done all things from creation to consummation. This is why. For the preservation and display of His glory. All His works are simply the spillover of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. <laughs> that, there is, is the grounds for the happiness of God. He delights in His own excellence. He delights in His own glory. He delights in His own works because reflects His glory. He is the happy God. His happiness, the foundation of His happiness is His sovereignty. And I think that thought, again, is reflected in uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 15, which He will manifest in His own time. He who is the blessed, again the word makarios, the happy, He who is the happy and only potentate, that word there uh, can be translated sovereign, He who is the happy and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God's happiness is grounded in His sovereignty. His sovereignty is the foundation for His happiness. And He is never frustrated because He has the power to do what He wills to do. And therefore... He's a happy God, or the happy God. So, Paul speaks of sound doctrine according to the gospel, the good news, according, sound doctrine according to the good news of the glory of the happy God. God is happy because He has made His glory known in the gospel. 
in the good news concerning Jesus Christ. His glory is revealed, and He is pleased with that. The gospel of the glory of the happy God. Which in a nutshell is, and, and, and then we'll pick this up next week, verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's, that's the gospel. Christ, Christ Jesus, that's, that's the good news of the glory of the happy God. He sent His only begotten Son into the world. Whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a glorious gospel. The gospel of the glory of the happy God. Take the time to look up uh, Zephaniah 3.17 sometime later um, with that thought concerning God's happiness. Zephaniah 3.17, you'll see that He's happy over His people. Luke 12.32 He's happy to give us the kingdom. Philippians 2.13, He is happy to perform a good work in us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this great uh, salvation that You've provided. Thank You that You are pleased, delighted to save sinners. It's an awesome thing, something that uh, I suppose that we, we will never, ever fully grasp. We deserve Your wrath. You have been pleased to extend grace. And in this gospel message, Your glory is unveiled. Your pleasure, what pleases you, is made known. Lord, may, may we uh, take seriously Paul's exhortations here, admonitions, to not tamper with the gospel. Lord, enable us to believe and proclaim the sound teaching of the gospel of the glory of the happy God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.